Blog Talk Radio. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Talking in Circles. I am Clayton Caldwell with Philip Matthew and Spencer Cowan joining us in a little bit. We are discussing the 2019 Daytona 500, reviewing that race, the controversy surrounding that race with Joey Logano, Michael McDowell. We'll dive into that. Should Chase Elliott have been penalized for a uh, restart lineup, mix, mixer up, whatever you want to call it? Uh, we'll discuss that. We'll also preview Atlanta. And we'll dive into more of Speed Weeks. 917-889-8280 is your, call, your number to call here on Talking Circles. If you want to join the show tonight at any time, that is the number to call. It's, again, 917-889-8280 tonight here on Talking Circles. Uh, Denny Hamlin took the 61st Daytona 500 on Sunday. It's his second career Daytona 500 championship. Uh, he held off Kyle Busch, uh, a race that was pretty clean, Philip, for the first 190 laps. It looked pretty good. It was, you know, the truck race was crazy on Friday. We didn't have, a, well, we had nine trucks that finished on Friday. It was a pretty yeah, good functional race. One, yeah. And then all of a sudden, the last 10 laps of that race, going into overtime, a lot of accidents. What were your initial thoughts on the Daytona 500 on Sunday? I mean, for the takeaway I had, the first takeaway I had was how uh, the new CEO of the sport, Jim France, went in and during the pre-race drivers meeting basically asked or told the drivers to, you know, let's race because it's the biggest race of the year. And the guys listened and I mean, they put on a pretty good show. I had to say, I mean, what, what ended up happening was two like strange bedfellows, the Hendrick Motors, even though if you go into back in history, they were together a long, long time ago. Joe Gibbs Racing and Hendrick Motorsports were together, and they kind of ganged up against the Fords, and their strategy was actually working out better. Uh, Mac Benedetto had a big debut in the 95 car and uh, really showed uh, a lot. And I mean, you had all the Fox people, you know, you know, butt kissing him and all the Toyotas and then the whole JD Gibbs thing. And I mean, it was, there was a lot of different storylines going on. The Fords kind of got put to the back burner. And I mean, the race was pretty clean until for about 175, 180 laps. And then they all just, I, I forget where, I mean, it started with that, the Rick Ware racing loads going and they blamed the people trying to secretly pit but at the end of the day it's like you're driving those those cars and they really didn't neither of them belong in that race and then they caused that big wreck coming into the pits and from then on it's almost like everybody disconnected their brains and just drove through everybody like it was a like it was a a, a demo derby and yeah. wrecked most of the cars in the in the race i mean it was it became a joke by the end. I was I was kind of over it by that, you know, after all the wrecks and Brad spinning out on his own because of a cut tire and Kyle Larson before that cut tire. It, it, the, the race was pretty good and there was a lot of action. They were generally respecting each other and then it just got away from them and it became yeah, it, pretty, pretty terrible. It was a typical Daytona 500 up until about 160, like you said. And, um, that's when the wear accident happened. But the first accident that happened uh, came to on lap 51 
with Kurt Busch and Ricky Stenhouse Jr. making contact there, Spencer, uh, coming out of turn two. Uh, it took out Bubba Wallace. Um, Jamie McMurray got a piece of it, as did Tyler Reddick and, uh, and Austin Dillon as well in that one. Uh, what were your thoughts on that accident on lap 51? Really ended any day, Bubba Wallace. I know he tried, he limped around, had a chance at it until the very big wreck. Uh, Stenhouse, it seemed like he had nine lives in this race. Reddick was done for the day after that, and Dillon really didn't have a great day after that either. But um, took out a couple of, of drivers, especially one in Bubba Wallace, who really had a big year here last year, finishing runner-up, and his day was pretty much over at lap 51 on that accident. Yeah, it's, uh, I felt bad for him. He was just kind of hugging the double yellow line and just letting everybody pass him. And he eventually just pulled off the racetrack. He had enough of that crap. So, um, And then when there was controversy between him and Reddick or whatever on Twitter, they were going back and forth. And um, I don't think uh, what's-his-face is the only person that had nine lives. Kyle Larson definitely had nine lives, that's for sure. And, um, True. you know, there was a lot of people that got in multiple wrecks and then still continued and – I don't know. Like Philip said, the last 30 laps were chaotic, a lot of wrecking. And, um, I mean, a lot of cars that shouldn't even be on the racetrack at the end were still on the racetrack. I mean. That was wild. Ryan Newman, Ryan Newman started below the double yellow line because he was so damaged. Austin <laughs> Newman's car was, one of his car was gone. So, it was pretty hectic. And, uh, I don't know, a lot of crybaby, a lot of crybaby and going back and forth. Um but, you know, it was a fun race, and I enjoyed the 2K19 of Speed Weeks. At least they were double file for most of the event. I mean, what we saw Saturday was was yeah. rough. I, I, I did not like Saturday's race at all. Uh, they were single file. And, and what they tried to do, I think, was avoid what happened, you know, on Friday night with the Truck Series race where only nine trucks finished that race. So they had 30 truck cars finish the Xfinity Series race. And it, it was a typical Daytona 500. Like I said, there was also the accident with Rick Ware racing. We talked about a 160, but also an accident at 108 with McMur- uh, with Casey Mears and Parker Kligerman. I'm not really sure what happened there. It looked like somebody was trying to, to draft each other, and they, they misjudged it. I really couldn't really see at that point. But uh, that was an accident as well, taking out McMurray and Kligerman. They kind of putted around after that. Uh, and then it was the end of Stage 2. And then we had the accident with the wear cars, which was a very interesting accident. But what during all that, joke. right, it was, uh, you know, I, I don't, I just don't, I still don't understand what they were thinking, but 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 during all that and during the stage one and stage two, one driver really stood out, and Philip touched on a little bit was Matt Benedetto in that '95 car. Um, it's his first race with that. Not only did he run good, he led 49 laps, which is the most of of anybody at the racetrack. But not only did he did he go out there and and show what he was made of, but he was good in the duels too, and he got uh, a couple of stage points as well. So he was strong all day in the Daytona 500. Um, and really was was a re- really impressive. It was really impressive to watch, um, and we'll see what he's got the rest of the year, but he certainly made a statement, Matthew, in the Daytona 500, that's for sure. Yep. I mean, he, I mean, in terms of a – that's the best he's ever run in, up front. That's the most I think he's ever run up front in a cup race. So that's really dang sure, and uh, – I don't know if that's a sign of things to come or what, but it's a good look for him and for the people on Reddit that love him so much. Uh, it was a pretty big deal for them, too. I mean, every racetrack's drafting now, so it should be. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. That's what I'm saying. With this new package, it'll be interesting to see how that carries over with everybody 
uh, with DiBenedetto. And if it does, you know, we'll, we're not sure exactly how it's going to run. We'll we'll find out more. I think at Vegas more than Atlanta because Atlanta, um, you know, there's a lot. The tires get worn down there, and it's a different racetrack than what we see of the other mile and a half. If you even race this weekend, the weather looks terrible uh, in Hampton, Georgia this weekend. So we'll see how that all turns out. But yeah, at least for Saturday and, and Friday even is a little iffy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so, you know, the big record everybody talks about, I mean, that was just Menard pushed drafting into a corner and took out a, a lot of, a lot of cars. Um, Eric Amarola was in that one. Stenhouse that kind of did him in as well. Uh, it put Busher out of the race. It put, um, uh, Martin Truex Jr. out of the race, Chase Elliott, uh, a lot, just, just a lot of drivers finished him off completely. Um, and, and, you know, it ended up with, with really six cars with a shot at it, five cars with a shot at it at the end with Denny Hamlin, Kyle Busch, Eric Jones, Joey Logano, and Ty Dillon were really the ones that weren't too damaged um, and had a shot at it. And in the closing stages, guys, um, there was some controversy. And, and, and Spencer, I want to get your opinion on this first. Between Joey Logano and Michael McDowell, first of all, um, those guys are Fords. There's no doubt about that. There was a time in early in the, earlier in the run towards the end of that race where McDowell started in front of Logano, and Logano kind of pushed him out of the way and pushed him up. And uh, I think that's what set McDowell saying, you know what, I'm, I'm fighting for myself here. I really don't care about Ford and, and manufacturer teammate at all. I, I'm running for myself and, and trying to do better for myself. But Logano approached Michael McDowell at the end of that race and said, kind of, what are you doing? You're Ford. I'm a Ford. We're supposed to be working together, especially against three Toyotas there at the end of that race. What were your thoughts, Spencer, on McDow- the McDowell and Logano situation? A little bit of controversy at the end of that race. I mean, like McDowell said, you know, they hung him dry the whole race. But, you know, I don't get paid to drive race cars. You know, Michael McDowell is obviously in the seat because he's, he's talented. He knows what he's doing. But I've watched the replay over and over and over. And the more I look at it, I, the right decision probably would have been to go with the 22 car. The 22 car was closer to the 11 and Bush really didn't have any help. The only help he had was McDowell. So I think if the 22 and the 34 would have got hooked up, you know, they could have blew by the 11. In my eyes, I don't know what you guys think, but like I said, I don't get paid to make these decisions or drive the race car. And then, you know, Michael McDowell is trying to win the Daytona 500, and in your head, you just – it's a fast instinct and a fast decision. You know, let's go with the car that I think can win the race. And But, you know, I think it's uh, kind of babyish, but, yeah, like Logano said, you can't win these races by yourself. And right. Michael McDowell also made a good point. He's like, I don't get paid to push the Team Penske 22 car. So, you know, I'm here to get the best finish and, you know, put my car up front and contend for a win. So, I mean, and, it's just, if you're Mike McDowell fan, you're on his side. If you're Logano, you're on his side. So, well, it's a, it's Certainly, I totally agree with you, Spencer, on the fact that I think if he went with Logano, it probably would have been a better shot. But think of it this way, too. You know, he was in that race all day. He knows how good that 22 car was. It was really, really strong. He might be looking at it as a fact that, the only way I'm going to get in front of this 22 and win the Daytona 500 is if I draft with a Toyota. Because if I draft and push that 22, there's no way I'm getting by him. There's no way I'm getting by him. So um, that could be a way where he looked at it. How about you, Philip? What was your uh, opinion on, on the McDowell and Logano situation? Do you think it was overblown? Uh, what, are, what are your thoughts? I mean, they, they had to talk about something as a side, as a side piece to the whole 
J.D. Gibbs and the Toyota deal. The so they wanted to make this whole Michael McDowell, Joey Logano conversation. I mean, it, it to me it reminds me of what Alex Bowman did against Kyle Busch in the clash a couple years ago, which Logano won, and he Alex Bowman decided to go and race instead of going and pushing. Kyle Bush and he's like, oh, it cost us a chance to win. Well, it's like Alex Bowman didn't have a race the rest of the year. He's like, well, I want to finish second. I don't think I'm going to race the rest of the year. It worked out that he did and whatever. But McDowell, I watched the replays too, and honestly, it would have been in my, I mean, to my eye, like Spencer was saying, it looked like it would have been better to go with Logano. Then I read a couple, at least one story where McDowell was quoted saying that Logano's like whole back end was crushed in from, I don't know which incident it was. And it, uh, he got nailed in one of the incidents late. And so I think in McDowell's eyes, he thought he wasn't going to be able to make enough of a push or be able to get as far with Logano. So he made the move to go with Kyle Busch. That move fell flat, kind of like Tony's move in 2008. Um, in the end, it cost both of them probably third and fourth, and they finished fourth and fifth. It allowed Eric Jones to kind of get a run on both of them. To me, it is it is what it is. I mean, Michael McDowell gets a fifth-place finish for front row uh, motorsports. We were talking about him in the preview. I talked about him uh, as a dark horse candidate. I mean, the reality is they're a team that, kind of punches above their weight for them to get a fifth place finish in the Daytona 500 is a big deal. And uh, for Joey Logano, it's a loss, you know, for a guy who's won the Daytona 500, it's not as big of a deal. I think the guy who finished second, and there's there's more of a story with all of that, um, it's a bigger deal for him than he has another one one. I think Joey Logano wants to win that second Daytona 500, and he thought he had a chance, even with a damaged race car, if he had help, but it just didn't work out that way, and uh, we're on to Atlanta. And we'll see what happens, how much they want to blow it out of the horseshoe or not. But it's it was just racing. It was just two guys trying to go for it, and it's the end of the Daytona 500. It's yeah, very Daytona interesting. If you, have, if you have six Daytona 500s, you want your seventh one. So. Yeah, yeah, and Hamlin got his second over Kyle Busch's first. Um, you know, and you can look at it and say, well, that kind of was they, – they kind of created a deal there where – it was Hamlin's going to get a second. Kyle wasn't going to get any. And Kyle hasn't won one yet. It's really the only thing Kyle's never done in NASCAR is win the Daytona 500. Everything else, he's won, I think, at every racetrack now, or pretty pretty close to it. Uh, he's won a championship. He's done it all, everything except the Daytona 500. Um, so I'm sure he is, you know, he said it was better, bittersweet, nice to get the win for Joe Gibbs. But, you know, that was the second time we saw Kyle be a real big team player here during speed weeks, the other one was when he was pushing, he spun in, in the uh, in his duel, and he, he pushed Parker Kligerman into the Daytona 500. Um, so that that was another interesting, uh, watching Kyle become the um, sort of, you know, great teammate and great team player there um, at that point. Another thing I want to touch on uh, is is the fact that J.D. JD Gibbs and his number won the Daytona 500 with Denny Hamlin and Joe Gibbs Racing. Um, I thought it was a great story, and, and um, you know, Joe Gibbs, they, they, that Toyota team was very, very quiet during Speed Weeks. I think we didn't, didn't even really touch on a Toyota team as far as our preview was concerned. We said, sure, they can win, but I don't think they were the favorites going in at all, and they finished 
one, two, three in the Daytona 500, Philip. Um, I think that's pretty impressive for Joe Gibbs Racing. Yeah, I mean, they basically were, you know, sitting. I they were kind of lurking uh, on the underground. They were in, they were all working together. I think they all knew what they had. Denny Hamlin has proven over time that if he isn't turning somebody, he usually is pretty good at these uh, restricted play races. I mean, Matt DiBenedetto, as we talked about earlier, and then you add, you know, Kyle Busch is wanting to win this 500. Um, that move, I think he'll think about if he ever never wins this 500, uh, that last restart and how he handled that. And the way he, I, I'll give, I mean, just as an aside, the way that he handled that interview, I'm shocked. And quite frankly, it reminded me of how Tony was in 2004 when, you know, he lost the Daytona 500 to Earnhardt and he seemed like he played it off as though it was okay. And it surprised me that Kyle Busch was basically just like, didn't seem all that emotional about it and kind of froze up there. It kind of shocked me because knowing the Kyle Busch that most people know, it, I thought he was going to be a little more angry about losing the Great yeah. American Race. But, I mean, for Gibbs and all, that's, they were building it up all day. They're talking, I mean, with Daryl Waltrip because he's got Toyota. He's got the Toyota deal and playing up the whole J.D. Gibbs thing. You know, I mean, they just kept on talking about it all day, all day about these Toyotas. And they worked together, and they worked well together the whole time. And in the end, it came through for them getting a 1-2-3 finish first one since uh, Hendrick in 97 with Terry Labonte and Ricky Craven. So, um, you know, so that's that's something. I mean, it's great for uh, Joe Gibbs and his family and for Hamlin, who hasn't won since 2017. And, you know, we were talking about, you know, when we were talking about, uh, what do you call, Chris Bell and who's going to lose their ride. Well, I guess if Danny Hamlin's winning Daytona 500, I guess he's going to lose his ride, so. Yeah, it's funny you mention that, Philip, because uh, I was talking to a friend of the show, um, and he, right before the show, and he said the exact same thing. He said, you know, it's funny, we t- we've discussed that on the show this year, and even last year we talked about Christopher Bell's future. It's going to be really hard to move Hamlin out of that 11 now with two Daytona 500s in that and the defending Daytona 500 champion. So uh, that makes it even more interesting, Christopher Bell's future, as we move on here. In 2019, 917-889-8280, Talking in Circles, Clayton Caldwell to Philip Matthew and Spencer Cowan here tonight. Uh, Spencer, I want to get your opinion on this. Chase Elliott and Eric Amarola, they had a very interesting restart. I forget who was on the inside, but there was a three-wide restart in the middle of that race, um, and NASCAR let it continue. And, um, you know, they said it was a clean restart at that point. And the day before, Noah Gregson got penalized for a similar situation And all of a sudden, here we are on Sunday, and one of the most popular drivers in NASCAR is out of position on a restart for whatever reason, and they don't call a black flag. It looked shady. I think the the, uh, reasoning behind it was shady. I don't care if you have to penalize both drivers. I don't care if you have to penalize all three of them. Uh, I don't understand how that restart could be legal. What were your thoughts on that, Spencer? Well, I think I texted you as soon as it happened and said they just started three wide. 
Uh, I don't think the inside car should be penalized. I think that car was in the right position. I think the only guy who should get penalized is Chase Elliott or, you know, whoever makes the call, which would probably be the crew chief. Chase Elliott's just going where he's told to go or somebody. There was just miscommunication. But I was talking to you. Even if Chase Elliott was not supposed to be there, obviously, the cars still aren't lined up anyways. Logano is a car length ahead of where he should be. Right, so I think who was behind those guys, yeah. Correct. So, I mean, everybody has shifted up. I mean, so nobody's really where they were supposed to be on that restart. So, I mean, I thought – and then for them to take action the day before and then not take action, that's – you know, that's not fair to Noah Gregson that right. got penalized. And then you're not going to do anything about it in the Cup Series, your top series – in the sport, and so that's a little, like you said, I guess a little shady. Yeah, and Philip talks about this all the time, and I give him credit because I like the the saying selective enforcement. And again, you know, I I hate to, to go back ten years because it's been a long time now, but I remember ten years ago in two thousand and nine, a similar situation happened. The late Jason Leffler wrecked somebody in the backstretch in the Xfinity Series race and got penalized five laps. For it. I watched him come down pit road, NASCAR hold the car five laps and say, because you took out somebody. I think it was Stephen Wallace he took out. I can't remember who he wrecked at this point. He took out Stephen Wallace. And the very next day, 24 hours later, Dale Earnhardt Jr. did the exact same thing to Brian Vickers. I mean, Ray Charles could have seen that. It was intentional. It was intentional. And NASCAR did nothing about it. And it's just selective enforcement. And you know, I, I just didn't like the, the excuse for it. I, I thought that was kind of shady. And I'm all for it. I just don't understand how you can say it was a clean restart with cars that were three wide. I just don't get it. Like somebody was missed, whether it was Amarola, whether he was up too far, or Chase Elliott was too far, up too far. Somebody was wrong. Somebody was wrong. And I don't know who's, whose fault it was. I don't really care whose fault it was. To me, you can't let them restart like that and have no penalty. Um, I, that's just the way I look at it, especially when the day before, Philip, they, they took out uh, and penalized Gregson. Yeah. Hey, Spencer, you said you want to say something? Yeah, I think – well, I have the picture pulled up. I don't, I think Elliott was in the correct spot. I just think that outside lane was shifted up too further. Like we said, Logano is a car length up, so I think – Almarola should have been back a little bit, and they didn't let Chase Elliott in. That's all I wanted to right. say. Just kind of but then Almarola probably should have been penalized there. Somebody was wrong, and you know who it is because you could see the running order you know, and say, okay, that person's supposed to be lined up there, that person's supposed to be lined up there. Whoever's out of position, penalize them. I don't care who it is. Yeah. I, I just I don't understand how it can be. And I know this is a minor issue because they both ended up wrecking in the race and stuff like that, but it could have affected. I mean, years ago when David Reagan won a Talladega, Brad Keselowski made a pitch to fit at the end on Twitter about Reagan being in the wrong line at the end of that race and said that Reagan was in the wrong line, he was lined up improperly, something to that nature, and said, you don't understand how big of a deal it is to be lined up in a certain line who's pushing you, yada, 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 at a super speedway track. Well, if it was that big of a deal in 2013, I think it's even a bigger deal now in 2019. So it's not like it's, it's something small, uh, I just, again, I just, I didn't understand that. I just wanted to get your guys' opinion on that. Yeah, I mean, the fact that when when they got Gregson for that on Saturday and then they didn't 
penalize the Lord and Savior on Sunday, I just laughed. I'm like, well, there you go. I mean, when I saw that and they called it the clean restart, I'm like, yeah, it's, well, I know why. And I knew when it happened they weren't going to penalize Chase Elliott because it's Chase Elliott. And I'm kind of glad. I mean, fine, David Hoops did a great – he worked for a long time for NASCAR, and supposedly that was his last race last week, and his whole thing, oh, put it out, put it out. And then you talk about throwing – when somebody throws a plastic wrapper on the on the track and they call a caution and it ruins the entire race and all these things. But, I mean, it's – this is what I don't get. This is the same NASCAR that has digital scoring, and they take some 20 laps to go and figure out how to – line up a field this is the same yeah. these are the same people who go and let three wide restarts happen two days in a row and penalize it one day and don't the other uh, yep. because of who it is i mean that's really what it boils down to and i mean whatever in the end once though they all disconnected their brains the last 25 laps of the race all of them are in the freaking bat in the in the garage area so it really didn't make a difference but Right to me, it shows it's it's a we talk about how they're going to penalize teams and the inspection process and the way NASCAR officiates and the rules and it all kind of combines they all come together and it brings more attention to what is a real issue of transparency and yep. you know being consistently inconsistent, which is my other saying with like enforcement there. Yes. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it, it, it just makes you kind of scratch your head and go, huh, at the end of it, because it's just, it, you know, when I saw the three-way restart, I said, oh, that's going to take a lot of guts for them to penalize Chase Elliott at the Daytona 500, and they didn't do it. So, uh, yeah. again, it's, it's, you know, sometimes you don't have to, sometimes you make the, you have to make the tough calls there, and, and I felt like somebody, whoever was out of line, again, I don't know, because I don't, I'm not looking at the scoring at that point, at that instant, but somebody should know. And who was out of line at that point when they – and the worst part was they reviewed it and then said it was clean. So uh, that was just something I wanted yeah. to bring up. 917-889-8280. What was, you, what was your um, overall – you know, was there anybody that sort of stood out? If we go through the running order here, Hamlin was your winner, Kyle Busch second, Eric Jones third, Joey Logano fourth, Michael McDowell fifth. Then it was Ty Dillon sixth, Kyle Larson seventh, Ryan Priest in his first 500 eighth, uh, Jimmy Johnson ninth, and Ross Chastain in his first 500 tenth. I'm going to give a call to Ross Chastain, Spencer. I know you were you're very high on him, like I am, and I'm sure Philip is. Or yeah, Philip is as well. Um, he ran all three races this this weekend at Daytona National yeah. Speedway. Third in the Truck Series race, I think he was twelfth in the Xfinity Series race, and tenth in the Cup Series race. And perhaps more impressive than that, he ran every single lap this weekend, and he ran 150 miles on Thursday as well. So. A very impressive weekend and a very impressive tenth place finish for Ross Chastain. Yeah, a very impressive weekend for Ross Chastain there, overall as a whole. I just, uh, you know, was there anybody, Philip, that 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 stood out to you aside from Di Benedetto? We talked about him. You can even talk elaborate with him a little bit more. Was there anybody that stood out to you that had a, a really good speed weeks or a really tough speed weeks? I mean, hey, listen, no offense to your boy Kozlowski, but it was a really no, tough speed weeks. He got yeah. he got caught up in a wreck in 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 the uh, in the shootout. He got uh, had some issues in, in his duel where uh, the, the penalties and they seemed like they messed it up again when they came down. Yeah. The hood latch on Saturday and then a terrible yeah. uh, unlucky Daytona 500 on Sunday. 
I mean, for a guy who I had as a, a guy who was going to be the favorite to win the Daytona 500, it was a really, really tough weekend for Brad Keselowski, that's for sure. Oh, yeah. I mean, you it's 28 years and counting or whatever, 27 years and counting since I've watched my favorite driver win the Daytona 500. And I knew early on in the day it really wasn't going to go well. And the whole weekend was just a disaster for the two crew, for Brad Keselowski. Uh, just, and then, I mean, when the roof hatch busted right when they started the race, I mean, that's just ridiculous. It's just sad uh, on Saturday and, the dubious penalty on Thursday didn't really matter because they didn't have a car good enough. The two and the twelve were way—I mean, the twelve and the twenty-two were way better than the two were uh, all week. I, I would—I would say, for me, I mean, Dee Benedetto. Every, a lot of people talk about. It. I mean, it's what I, I like the Ross Chastain story because, frankly, what is it? Jay Robinson is on record saying that you know, there he was offered a lot of money by other drivers to run with sponsorship, to run this car in this race. And for somebody who's proven over time to not be the greatest, you know, be a little bit questionable, he went and stuck to his guns and stuck with Ross Chastain, and it worked out really well because they had one of maybe about three generally undamaged race cars in the whole entire place at the end of 500-plus miles, and they got a top-10 finish out of it. And then Ryan Priest, uh, the Connecticut boy, Northeast boy, had two crazy um, drive-through Days of Thunder-like saves to get the 47 through and get a top-10 finish there. I mean, that 47 car over the last few years has been pretty good at these restricted plate races anyway with A.J. Allmendinger. So the fact that Ryan Priest was able to, you know, get some saves and – I think that the Ross Chastain story, because of what happened with him and how it all went went to, to heck with the, his sponsorship and that 42 Xfinity car and basically took away a real threat in that Xfinity Series championship. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fact that he showed up to Daytona, won a stage in the Xfinity race for college racing and uh, – ran well in the Daytona 500 grand clean. And I, I think that's the big story of the day. I mean, we could also go and say to Kligerman finishing, actually finishing the race two laps down in 15th after backing into it, basically uh, that's a big deal for them and Gaunt brothers racing to get a top 15 yeah. finish. Yeah. And uh, Spencer, I, there was something you brought up too. That was very interesting during the 500, you know, Spencer and I were in, in communication because where I sat at the track, I couldn't see pit road. So Spencer could. And so we were in conversation and something happened on pit road. And I want to just give this team a call out quick. Cause the 32 car of um, the old spice Ford with, with go fast racing and, and Corolla joy um, spun okay. his tire. He slid his tires right there, Spencer on pit road. And then they had a bl- tire blow out. Did I get that right? Yep. Yeah. He, he came, I mean, as soon as he started braking, he slid all the way to the the yellow line, the the 55 mile an hour, you know, your line. Right. And he all he did was get gas and took out, and it blew up. The tire blew. Right. It, and I texted you. I was like, "Well, that's a stupid call. I mean, you just slid mm-hmm. 60 yards, and you're not going to get new tires. I mean, they're they obviously got to be bald spotted." Well, so, it was interesting. Yeah, that's because. They hung on there and finished 18th. They actually ended up a lot better than a lot of other cars did. 
But I, I want to discuss sort of the strategy and why I think Randy Cox did what he did because Randy Cox is a veteran crew chief. He's been around the garage area a long time. He should know better than that. But at the end of the day, you know, you're pitting and, and you still have the stages. So you say, hey, they're not going to be on there for too, too much longer. Um, it's not like, you know, you're going to make a full fuel run still. So you say, okay. Um, and, and I think the biggest part was how they played that race early. And this is something – and this is why when I, when I talk about people – who go to the rear. We saw it in the Xfinity Series race, and I think it's part of what made that race so tough to watch, was we saw a lot of teams go to the rear of the field and sort of hang out in the back. You put yourself in a situation on pit road where you have to be perfect, whether that's coming into pit road, whether that's on your tire change, whether, uh, whether or not you have to, to hit all lug nuts, whether or not that's your gas man where he has to come in there and, and make sure he gets the gas and get it full and hit it all. You have to be perfect on pit road or you're going to lose the draft and you're in big trouble. And I think with Corey LaJoy, their strategy to that race put them in a situation where they had to take just gas. Because if they didn't, which everybody else on, when they came down and pitted took gas, if they decided at that time, let's take the tires, they're going to fall a lap down, no doubt about it. So it put them in a spot because they, they decided to go to the back and hang back there as a smaller team, it put them in a situation to where they had to take gas. Now, it didn't end up so bad for LaJoy. Like I said, he ended up 18th. They kind of ran out there with, with no fender on the car. He was seven laps down, but um, they did a decent job salvaging, a uh, having a, a decent day. It's going to be probably one of their best finishes all year long. Um, so I just wanted to talk about that because that's one of the dangers of hanging out in the back and and a lot of teams love to employ that strategy, uh, but hanging out in the back and really, um, you know, puts them in a, in a tough situation. Nine one seven eight eight nine eight two eight zero. Here, talking circles. Clayton Caldwell with Spencer Cowan and Philip Matthew. We're reviewing the Daytona five hundred here on Talking Circles tonight. Um, anybody else, Philip, that that stands out to you? I mean, I talked on about the duel uh, on Daniel Hamrick. How I wanted to see what he would do because he had such a good qualifying lap on Sunday, the previous Sunday, and he didn't really show his muscle much of, of that race at all. Uh, Austin Dillon really didn't either. I mean, I guess we saw him up there a little bit, uh, but the gold cars, they, they still got like sore thumbs, so you notice where they were at all times. But they RCR cars, I thought, were kind of, for cars that had a lot of speed in qualifying, um, you know, even before they wrecked, which they can't help, but uh, they, weren't, they weren't up there running where they probably should have been even before the wreck, so I was a little disappointed in, in the RCR cars for most of the day as well. Yeah, I mean, Hammer got led one lap during one of the pit sequences, it looks like. And it, the three car last year when he won weren't really up front most of the day. It got later in the day. And then once the shenanigans started, he got further and further up front. The Hamrick, uh they just struggled. I don't know what happened. I mean, the, the 43 car, if we want to go that far, you know, the 43 and the 31 are RCR. One is an RCR car. The other is RCR affiliate, you know, take each other out in a sense. And then Reddick ended up getting more airtime, literally and figuratively, uh, taking out the left side of Jimmy Johnson's car in the one wreck with about 30 or so to go. It wasn't a great day race-wise for the RCR team, but uh, the the other another person that I would say, I mean the Stuart Haas guys, 
in general after the way that things built up on Thursday. Daniel Suarez all week has been pretty aggressive, and he had nothing to show for it, finishing 33rd. And Eric Almirola uh, luckily didn't have a similar situation as he had at Kansas a few years ago with that huge wreck that he had. And, you know, Harvick, after winning the duel, his duel finishes, you know, 26th. But the fact of the matter is, you know, Kevin Harvick at Atlanta, he'll probably be just fine. But I think that's one of the – we're looking at those two teams, especially Stuart Haas, after what had built up to be a pretty good start to the week. It uh, didn't come out all that well for them. Uh and then there are some other smaller teams that yeah. had done well up to a point, and then those late wrecks kind of took them out of it, and which is a shame, but it's a part product of the the package that they had, and yeah, unfortunately. Yeah, I, I thought as good as Stuart Haas was at Talladega back in October. I mean, they they completely dominated that race. I mean, nobody could touch any of those cars. And it comes to Daytona and the Daytona 500, and they were okay. I mean, Harvick showed some muscle, showed some decent runs. Uh, uh, Suarez, excuse me, got points at both stages. Uh, Kurt Busch was there at the end until he he came down on on McDowell, it looked like. Um, So they were there at the end, but they weren't as dominant as I thought they, you know, or one car. I mean, like I said, Harvick showed some muscle and and won a, uh, a duel, so he was okay, but... They weren't nearly as strong as they were at Talladega. It's a Daytona 500. It's a different animal. People focus on this race more than they do Talladega in October. I understand that. But that was that was a, an interesting point as well there. Uh, how about you, Spencer, before we wrap this all up? Anything else that stands out for you about the Daytona 500 that we might not have touched on? Uh, I mean, there is – I don't know if you guys would agree with me, but I feel like Truex was quiet all day. You didn't hear much from him. Um, and then that and the package, I was just shocked that the package, I mean, it took almost 20 laps for that bottom lane to disappear. So we did see more bottom lane racing and, you know, that's what the fans want to see. So, you know, luckily it just wasn't a freight train at the top of the line and we were able to see some decent racing and we saw a little bit of passing. So other than that, no, pretty much just a typical Daytona 500. Nine one seven eight nine eight two eight zero here talking in circles. Clayton Caldwell with Philip Matthew and Spencer Cowan here, uh, preview reviewing the Daytona five hundred and, and all of Speed Weeks in general. Uh, Michael Annette won the Xfinity Series race on Saturday. Uh, Justin Allgaier finished second there. That was a an interesting weekend uh, for Junior Motorsports. They were real strong in that race and and really a race that, that like I talked about was single file for most of the afternoon. Uh, NASCAR Racing Experience three hundred. Single file most of the afternoon. Brandon Jones was third. A great run for Ryan Sieg in fourth. Uh, Austin Sidrick in fifth. That was Christopher Bell, Jeff Green, the 2000 Series champion in seventh. John Hunter Nemechek eighth. Tyler Reddick ninth. And Chase Elliott finished in the tenth spot for Junior Motorsports. No Gregson rebounded and finished 11th. Um, what were your thoughts, Philip, on the Xfinity Series race? Just one, one thought or two thoughts on the Xfinity Series race here. Anything that stood out to you that kind of surprised you at all? I mean, the lack of actual racing was uh, one thing. Uh, The fact that it became just a single file line and nobody really tried to do 
you could hear it in Joey Logano's voice and how he was expressing. He's like, you got to go for it. And he was going and losing his mind, and it was funny because nobody would try to do any of that. And it was me. It was one. I think it was one example of where not having a cup benefit on Saturday really made a difference on the in the Saturday race because some of those cup guys would have probably tried to do that. Uh, Chase Elliott didn't have as good of a piece as he may have had previously there. He's a former winner of this race. He didn't really have as good of a car uh, on Saturday. And, uh, I mean, Tyler Reddick was bouncing on him in and out and front and back, and he had the fastest car in the whole place, and he only finished ninth. And, uh, and uh, in the end, it's restricted play racing. Michael Annette gets his first win, and Dale Jr. talked about it on his show and what based on what he talked about and how the crew chief Travis Mack and all that story, it's a nice story. Um, I have my feelings and many people agree with the kind of views I have on guys like Michael and Matt, but you know, good for him. Good for that team. The one car getting that win that Elliot Tyler could never get at Daytona. And, uh, uh, but we'll find out on, you know, this week, starting with this week where the real championship is going to be at, which is probably going to be all Geyer and Chris Bell, Bell. And Tyler Reddick and those guys, those are, that's where we're going to start seeing those guys and like maybe Chase Briscoe and those, some of them kind of come up. Yeah. It was an interesting race. You know, a lot of the guys up front, uh, like the Ryan Siegs of the world and Jeff Green, they were, and not that, you know, not that they can't win, but they, I think they were pretty content with where they were. You look at Sieg, you know, he's running for points. He's trying to make the playoffs, and, and the, that with with the amount of teams and, and the uh, difference we see in the Xfinity Series this year is that the playoffs, the last two or three spots are going to be pretty wide open. We saw last year Chastain make it with Johnny Davis for most of the year. Sieg might look at that and say, hey, that's, that's a, a lot of points for me. I'm content with that, 37 points. I'll take that. Uh, and walk away with it. Jeff Green, maybe the same thing where they need to get these, you know, a, a second car, get some owner points underneath that in case the 38 falls out, in case the 93 falls out. Now they got some owner points. So I think that was part of the reason why those two didn't really move, but a very good day for both of them. Green always runs good at Daytona. I don't know what it is, uh, but since his really, since he's been coming back to the Xfinity Series and runs a full race at Daytona, he's always run very good there. Uh, Spencer, anything that stood out to you on Saturday? I know you watched it on TV. Uh, anything that stood out to you on Saturday that that um, that caught your interest? Spencer, I I, I think we lost you there for a little bit, but um, yeah, you yeah, got it. One of the thing, yeah, I got you. What's up? Anything about Sunday, Saturday that you saw? I mean, Jeffrey Earnhardt led twenty nine laps. Uh, as well, finishing in the 15th spot. But anything that caught your eye on Saturday from the Xfinity Series race? Not really. I mean, same thing we saw in the duels. It was just single file and, you know, only one guy trying to make any moves, and that's obviously Chase Elliott, and we all know he hates running a single file. Obviously, the winner of the race was a little shocking. Um, and Jeffrey Earnhardt, it just goes – I mean, he's not the best driver out there, but it just goes to show once you're in good equipment, you can run up front and – this is a good opportunity for him, but nothing that really stood out for me. Um, you know, just another Xfinity race at Daytona. And, yeah, kind of uh, laid back. Glad I stayed home and watched it on TV. 
yeah, it was a it was a laid back race, no doubt about it. It was a, not a lot of action going on there um, for most of that race. You know, Kozlowski roof hatch was very interesting, but the most interesting thing to me was only three cars didn't finish that race. You had Clements who had engine issues all day right from the get go. I think he had engine issues. Kozlowski with the roof hatch finally at the end of that uh, that's kind of that finally did him in, and then Stephen Light had overheating issues really from the drop of the green flag as well. So uh, three cars didn't finish the NASCAR Racing Experience 300 which was in total uh, a lot different than, than the Daytona 500 and the Xterra Energy Resources 250, which is where we go next, the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series race. Uh, guys, Austin Hill led 39 laps. He won the Nextera Energy Resources 250. It was Grenham Finger in second, Ross Chastain third, Spencer Boyd fourth, Matt Crafton fifth, Josh Williams sixth, Timothy Peters seventh, Angela Rush eighth, and Austin Wayne South ninth. Those are all the cars that finished the race. Stuart Friesian uh, finished 10th. He was in the garage area for the last three laps. He tried like heck to make it, but couldn't. Uh, a good point today as well for DJ Kopp. He finished 11th, but it was a wild, wild day. Um, DJ Kopp's team finished 11th, I should say. Bobby Gerhardt was in that truck and finishing 11th. But it was a wild day really from the get-go. You had the Natalie Decker incident where she, uh, on lap one where she came around and it was basically on fire. Uh, Brian Dolzot got came in and hit his uh, Jackman and sent him into the hospital. So it was a it was a wild day from the, from the beginning of that race. And it, I mean, they were wrecking. It seemed like every lap, every ten laps on average, they were wrecking. Um, Spencer, get your thoughts first. What were your thoughts on the on the Truck Series race from Daytona and Austin Hill's victory there for Shiggy Atori? A wild night under the lights at Daytona. Um, you know the. Ex- the truck race never, you know, it's always pack action. Then there's always, uh, you know, a lot of wrecks and sparks flying. And and for the 16 team to win, you know, it just goes to show that that is a good little team. And, you know, if I am mistaken, I think they only got 12 guys at the race shop. And for them to le- come back from winning a championship and continuing to show that they're able to be there, I mean, it's a new driver, but then that ought to go to show you that they have good equipment. And as soon as he won, I I was just in my head going, wow. Like, the team, you know, everybody's just a small team. They can't find sponsorship. And, you know, I was kind of optimistic about Hill getting into the 16 truck. But, uh, you know, I guess he can prove his drive. I mean, it is Daytona. We'll have to see throughout the rest of the year. But, you know, exciting for that little team and, like I said, the the truck race is always exciting. You know, a lot of wrecks, and you know that Natalie Decker incident was a little unfortunate. But here's Atlanta, so we get to see. You know, it's Daytona, so you never really get to see how people run, and we'll just move on and then get our real verdict on who's going to be good for the rest of the year. Absolutely, and I think the the thing you take away from Daytona in this truck series is so much can change based on your run for the Daytona 500, or based on your run at Daytona for the truck series, because. Um, a lot of it is based on points, and it's so competitive, especially toward the back end of the field, where if some of these teams, maybe like a Timothy Peters, if they had a rough day, they might sit there and say, you know what, we're not running for the championship. We're not going to run for the championship. You know what, forget it. We're going to shut that team down because we don't have the points to, to really – we don't want to be in a points battle all, all year. But Peters finished seventh, gives that team a little bit of, of a nice buffer. In case they do have issues at Atlanta or issues at Las Vegas next week, um, where you know it's a it's a real it trucks it's funny because the trucks go went from not having anything between Martinsville and Daytona and now they have two races and one West Coast race so uh, a lot going on there for the truck series 
these next couple of weeks. But I think that's the thing to look at where, especially with these smaller teams where who had nice point stays and who didn't um, anything that stood out to you, Philip, about this truck series race, no doubt it was a lot of accidents always is a lot of inexperience in this truck series at times. What were your thoughts on the truck series race at Daytona the national speedway? Yeah. I mean, the, I watched a good part of it, not the whole deal. Cause it worked, you know, got to listen to a good amount of it on the way back and, you got Grant Enfinger, former ARCA winner at Daytona. He didn't really have the help he needed because obviously there's nobody left. Uh, Crafton was the only teammate he had, and I mean for that Shigiatori team to to win uh, first race out with a new driver is pretty big. Uh, we'll see how they keep keep on in terms of the money because it was funny how they talked about how Brett Moffitt didn't have any money and they were, they couldn't keep him around, but they didn't run on different sponsors. They ran a sponsor that was on the truck that has been on the truck the last two years when they had either Brett Moffitt or Ryan Truex in it on the truck on Friday night. Uh, the, I give credit to Timothy Peters, former Daytona winner, former truck series, you know, regular competitor for the championship over the years coming out and running for Nice Motorsports. And Nice Motorsports team has got a third and a seventh out of that. They were the only team that had two functional vehicles uh, left after Friday night. Well, two of them in door sport, but then they had five trucks and three of them were destroyed. So, I mean, outside of that, you know, the it's, it's a crapshoot. It's really about basically holding on for dear life and hoping you get to the end. And in the case of Austin Hill, he was able to, and we'll see how that team keeps on going as the season goes on. I do believe like what you're mentioning there, you know, when we're talking about how they have to race two weeks in a row, which is the first time in a long time that I can remember if maybe ever, (laughs) It may be years. It's a long time since they've had to race like three races in a row to start the season. And so I don't know how that's going to work out. They've got 33 trucks for for the race this weekend. So only one person is going to go home uh, compared to the kind of uh, turnout they had for Daytona. Uh, we'll see how that is um, and how it'll go for Vegas. I'm pretty sure the Vegas is uh, – turnout will probably be as low or maybe lower. Uh, so, I mean, that'll be a big uh, big issue for some of these smaller teams to get out there and make it for some of these races early in the season. But then they'll have a gap of a month, I think, to get to ready for Martinsville. Yeah, and and uh, I'm with you. I think we're going to see a, a small truck count out there in Las Vegas. I wish that race was placed maybe a week later, uh, and they went out West just a week later for the truck series so they can have a week buffer in between but I think that would help the car count a lot out there for that race but it's going to be interesting to see how that all works out and how the championship starts to, to form here and, and who's strong you know uh, as we get going on with this truck series uh, as the season moves along 917-889-8280 Clayton Caldwell here with you on Talking in Circles Philip Matthew Spencer Cowan uh, previewing Atlanta guys Atlanta a triple header weekend a double header on Saturday and then the, the cup race on Sunday, pending the weather, obviously. Um, Spencer, want to get your thoughts before, you know, as we get ready to go here to Atlanta. Um, what kind of racing do you think we're going to see? I mean, this new package 
changes things up a lot. Um, and, and sort of a, a crapshoot. Nobody really knows what, what's going to go in, what's going on as, as we get in there. It's sort of a guessing game. Uh, but, but the tires certainly are going to wear. They always wear in Atlanta. It's an old surface that hasn't been paved since 1997. Um, what are your thoughts on Atlanta? And let me hear how you think qualifying is even going to go. I mean, um, qualifying is a, a – they've decided to continue with group qualifying. And I think there's some teams right now even scheming how to maximize their speed on qualifying through the draft. So uh, what are your thoughts on, as we head to Atlanta this weekend? I mean, it's the new package, so it definitely changes a lot. You know, I kind of think your old uh, your old notebook really doesn't mean anything anymore. I mean, we all know how good Harvick is at this racetrack, but it's a new package, and it changes the game. And So, I mean, you know, qualifying, this will be the first time that we have I mean, we've had group, uh, group qualifying at the bigger racetracks with draft, but now with these camp, uh, these this new rules package, it can help out. You know, like you said, smaller teams. We talked about this in the last show about how single car teams, you know, won't be fair because they can't work with together. But it's it's a game changer for sure. That's really the only way you can put it. Um, you really don't know who's going to run well or who's not. But I mean. We're we're drafting everywhere now, and you got to add some new guys into, you know, new guys into the running good book. I guess you could say running up front. I right. mean, I don't know. I'm kind of excited to see how it's going to all play out, but who knows? Honestly, we just got to get used to this package and see how the first couple of weeks go. But it's going to be very different. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see how it all plays out. And um, we have a caller, guys, who is calling. To us from us calling us from the state of Virginia. Hello, Lee. Welcome to the show. Hi, guys. What do you want to talk about tonight? Well, uh, um, you know what, what was on your agenda. Is there anything you wanted to, you know, uh, you want to hear my opinion on, or? Yeah, I mean, what was your thoughts on the Daytona 500 in general? Did you like the race? I mean, what are you, what are your thoughts on on um, on everything that happened this weekend, and and maybe even if you want, you know. Your thoughts on Atlanta, um, you know, since you, since it's a different perspective, your thoughts on Atlanta, because nobody really knows what's going to happen there. Well, yeah, I'll first start with Atlanta. I think you're going to see some of some of these bigger teams maybe get bitten by qualifying. I think somebody's going to mess up. Some of the other teams may um, – may, uh, some teams may, may fi- figure out how to, how to game the system, and then other teams may figure out – that they got bit, and it's going to be a, a, a kind of a moving target for some teams, and I think you're going to see some, maybe some teams have a little bit of trouble in qualifying because they think they're all going to work together, almost like to do at a plate track during qualifying, and, and then we'll see how that goes when we go into the race. It's very much of an unknown, but it's going to be exciting and fun for sure when they roll out there this weekend. Yeah. Uh, how about you, Philip? I mean, do you expect to see some wrecks maybe at Atlanta in qualifying this weekend? What are your thoughts? Well, I'm thinking because of the way the weather's looking, they may not have any qualifying at all, and then they may not have a whole lot of practice either, which would make the race a complete, you know, dice roll in terms of setups, in terms of uh, the ability of maybe there would be a team that's not considered a big-time team, like Ruben mentioned, that might be able to make a move, and they'd have to start way in the back and have to use up all their stuff to get up front. Uh, 
I think this weekend is a is an anomaly. You know, it'll be the same way as when we get to Darlington in September for the Cup race, and uh, you know, some of these races where the rougher surfaces, it won't be the right greatest read on what they have. Uh, I don't see as much of like team drafting working in terms of qualifying because I think the arrow would be more like an Xfinity or a truck series package. I think more it would be towards making sure you're able to maintain momentum in the middle of the corner, uh, not losing as much, you know, not pinching the car down as much or truck down as much so that you can get through the corners and get better runs. Maybe Kyle Larson, it might be a year Kyle Larson just goes and gets fast time almost every week because he loves running the high line, you know, it'll be something, uh, I mean, it'll be, I'll be interested to see how this race turns out because it's going to be slower. They'll be running slower because they're going to have less horsepower. So it's going to be more about momentum and it's going to be more about guys who know how to maintain their stuff and be able to main and run, you know, over a longer run which right. goes into these guys who've ran, you know, Xfinity. I mean, the Harvick is, we already know about his, how good he is at Atlanta. But then you talk about Kyle Busch, you talk about Larson, you talk about some of these guys that have made their bones winning a lot of races in the Xfinity series over the years. And I think those guys would have a pretty good advantage, at least initially. I mean, we'll see that, I think, more at Vegas, but... uh and we'll have more to talk about that for Vegas because there's at least testing that occurred. But I right. mean, this weekend, that's going to be like, you could just coin toss it. I mean, I have no idea what's really going to happen. Yeah, for sure. I Atlanta's going to be, it's an interesting race with this first, interesting first race with this package because it's so much different than any other racetrack because the tires wear so much more. Lee, do you expect um, the, the same the same group of people to be winning these races running up front? Uh, or do you expect sort of different winners? I know there's a lot of teams out there who feel like um, they have a, a much better chance at, at winning races and being competitive with this new rule package. But as we get going under the season and as we get going ready for this first race with this new rule package, do you expect these smaller teams to compete better, or do you expect the same guys, the same 10, 15 drivers up front every week? What are your thoughts? I think you could see a change in the first – uh, six or seven races here with the guys in the top 10 or 15. I think you're going to see a change more from 10th to 30th with, with drivers going in and out. I think you're going to see a lot of different names in there. Uh, you're going to see the, the same guys from 1st to about 12th be uh, be normal, but I think you may see a, a difference in, in some of that front of the field early on if one team or one manufacturer hits the package better than somebody else does. But once they get back and they're on the racetrack and once they get back from the West Coast swing, kind of like last year, and kind of like how we evaluate teams anyway. Once we get back from the West Coast swing and they start building the second generation of the 2019 cars, these guys will then – then you'll start to see it get back to normal, I think. You think the front row motorsports is a team like that that could maybe gain and run in the top 15 now, uh, could, could go back down to the running in the top 20 uh, once they get back from the West Coast swing because everything's going to catch up. I'm not sure you're going to see somebody stay behind for very long, but I think early on in this in this stretch you may see some – different names and guys in the top 10, 15, but um, for the most part, I think you're going to see the same teams winning. How about you, Spencer? I mean, last year it was the the big three was the big story going to the playoffs. Uh, they won uh, the majority of the races between Kyle Busch, uh, Kevin Harvick, and Martin Truex Jr. Do you think we'll see something similar to that this year? 
Uh, or do you think this rule package will change? Will we see three drivers, you know, winning a majority of the races, or will we see a, a lot of different drivers? What are your thoughts on this rule package here in 2019? I mean, I kind of agree with Lee. You know, I don't think there's going to be another big three. That's for sure. This rules package is definitely going to change a lot. But you know, I mean, you can't count out the Harvicks, the Bush. The Larsons and all the top, the Loganos and all of them, you can't count them out. You know, they're obviously known the top guys of the sport. And they run well anywhere they go. But I don't think there's going to be a massive breakout between two or three guys or four like there was the previous year. But like he said, I do think it's going to change the way guys run. And we've talked about that when we first talked about the rules package. It's going to give these smaller teams advantages to run closer up front. And... But it could be good, you know. It gets old seeing the same guys win over and over, and it's going to mix things up and make it more exciting. And, you know, so for that, I don't think there's going to be a huge breakout between a couple guys and just dominate the whole year. How about you, Philip? Uh, Final word there on what you expect to see here at Atlanta and really the rest of 2019. Um, You know, I think this package, a lot of the the idea behind it was – you know, to sort of try and level the playing field a little bit because we've seen so many of the big teams just kind of win a lot of the races. Do you think this package will sort of be like the great equalizer or do you expect the same guys, the same teams that have have been great here the last 10, 15 years, the same 10, 15 cars being up front here uh, in 2019? What are your thoughts? I think, I mean, going off on what everybody has said, I think, I think for temporarily there will be some gains by some of the smaller efforts. Uh, some of these teams that may be willing to push uh, to kind of see where they need to be or try to push to possibly get themselves on that edge to try to get themselves up front to get that win, uh, hopefully not over the edge because then it will be thrown out. But, uh, you know, when you're talking about the Stuart Haases, the the Joe Gibbs and Hendrick and those and Penske, those are the four big teams. They dominated the playoff roster last year. I don't see those teams going away uh, because of this package. I think that it'll kind of reinforce their ability to R and D and do, do the extra, put the extra effort in compared to a smaller effort. I but I do think there'll be one or two drivers, teams that kind of, you know, make a make a gain. I don't know who those teams will be or drivers, I don't know. But I think there'll be a two or three teams that kind of make that move at least early on and you know, once that you know, talking about the West Coast swing Lee said, once they get back back from that West Coast swing, I think things will start to level out again around April, May, around the time of the all star race. And by then they'll probably be coming up with some other gimmick that we'll have to run for the all-star race. So um, I think that's how it's going to go, but we'll we'll see. I'm curious to find out. As am I. It's going to be a very interesting weekend at Atlanta for the Cup Series. Again, triple header weekend if you're a NASCAR fan, double header on Saturday, Xfinity and Trucks, and then a Cup race on Sunday, weather permitting, here at Atlanta Motor Speedway. I want to thank Lee in Virginia for calling in. You're always uh, a great asset to the show. If if you're listening and you're always listening, always call in. You're awesome. Uh, Spencer Cowan, I want to thank him as well. Great job tonight. Same thing with Philip Matthew. I'm Clayton Caldwell. We'll see you next time tonight. We'll see you next time 
on Talking in Circles. Good night, everybody.